Hi folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. It's the isolation that destroys us. The solution is in community. Today on the podcast, we have three women from very different parts of the country, Georgia, Montana, and Connecticut, who all have one big thing in common. Each has a husband who has served time or is still serving time in a federal prison for a white collar crime. In so many instances, Families are destroyed by the actions of a partner that leads to divorce, estrangement from children, financial devastation, and untold resentment, suffering, embarrassment, and shame. And certainly our guests have all gone through and still go through much of this. As Cassie says on the podcast, it's a life sentence. All let it rip with the poignant and painful truth. Yet, Each of our guests have decided to stay with their husbands and forge from the ashes new family lives that are perhaps better than before. And all are available to speak to other spouses and family members going through these issues. Indeed, it becomes clear on the podcast that families with white-collar justice issues don't have to suffer in isolation and can benefit from coming into community. We are all bonded in our brokenness. Here's a teaser. One of the women on the podcast is my wife and co-founder, Lynn Springer, and my stepdaughter, Skylar Cluett, makes a guest appearance too. Four fascinating stories of four courageous women in conversation. Coming up, White Collar Wives on White Collar Week. I hope you will join us. Hello, and welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries the world's first ministry serving the white-collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white-collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer, so I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Hi, folks, and welcome to White Collar Week. Tonight, we have a very special podcast. We have wives of men who have either been who have served in um, federal prison for white collar crime or in one case are still serving and um here's a here's a, a treat for me my wife lynn is on right now with my stepdaughter skylar so um i hope she's going to be kind tonight but you don't have to be lynn you don't have to be and uh, just tell the truth right and um so what we're going to do is we're going to go around and each of them is going to tell a little bit of their story. Then we'll get in conversation, and uh, I'm sure they'll have uh, um, a lot in common and uh, maybe some things that are not so much. So uh, Julie is from Georgia. Cassie is in Montana. And Lynn and Skylar are in Connecticut. So we're going to start with Julie. And uh, Julie, welcome to White Collar Week. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, so you want me to just start? Just do your thing. All right. So. For me, um, I had just gotten married. Um, it was 1999 and we were on our honeymoon and my husband, he had shared with me a, a pending civil trial and I was like, well, you know, we'll just fight it. You know, there's nothing could go wrong. What, what could be, what could happen? And then we came home and um, I guess just a few years later, we had a honeymoon baby. And then when my young, youngest child was three weeks old, we ended up in a courtroom where he was pleading not guilty and we went to trial. Um, he was found guilty. He was sentenced to five years. Um, he served about three and a half. Um, I immediately initially moved back in with my parents. I had these two young children and then I got out on my own. 
but I did go to visit him every single weekend for three and a half years, every single weekend. I think my father thought I had lost my mind at some point, but I was truly in love and my, I took my kids too. So um, it was a real family affair and, and we spent the entire day together, Saturday and Sunday. And when I couldn't afford to, to stay in a hotel, I would just get up. He was only two hours away um, on two different occasions and I would drive. And if that place opened at eight, I was there at seven fifty and waiting and we had a routine and it, it was our life for many years. Um, I, I, I can add more or less. Um, it was, it was definitely, um, difficult. I once said to my mom that if, if we had money, this wouldn't be so bad, you know, it like you just go and see your husband and spend the day with them and leave. But, um, wasn't really the case. And of course he came home and, you know, it was, it became, that's when the reality set in. I mean, while he was there, we did file for an appeal and, um, many of you may or may not know, but when you go through this, you cleverly document, you get in the drug and alcohol program and he had you know, been in it for a significant amount of time. And when he got, was granted cert, which means the Supreme Court wanted to hear the case, mm. we were at the end. And it's not like Julie picks him up and just they go show up at the courthouse and they hear our case. It was more of who knows what they were going to do with him until his court date. They could have driven him around the country. And if it was more than 30 days, then he would have lost all his good time. And we were so tired and so at the end that I said, just to have heck with it. Let's just get out, come home. We're going to make it. We'll be fine. I think that was one of our mistakes. We probably should have fought the appeal. Um, I think he would have been, I, I think it would have been, I mean, it's not often the Supreme Court gives you that opportunity. So they saw some merit, but you can't look back. And he has been home now longer than, you know, obviously he was away and we are finally, you know, it's taken some time, but we're finally getting on our feet again. And, and thankfully, our children were young at the time. So it, the effect on them wasn't as great. Um, but we're, we're well on our way now. And, and we've gone through a heck of a lot. But um, we, you know, made it. But deeply, you know, very much in love. So it was it was helpful. And and it didn't, it did, he did sit me down one day. I wish he was, you know, and he said right after the trial, he said, listen, if you want to go, you know, I understand five years is a long time, you know, and I was like, for better or for worse, you know, you crazy fool, I'm sticking around, can't get rid of me that easy. So I did, but, and, and a lot of my friends and a lot of people told me that, that they would not have been, they don't think they would have been able to do the same. We never know what we're going to do until we're presented with that opportunity or that adversity. Um, and then there was many folks that, you know, said, that they 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 couldn't under they couldn't believe that I did it. They really you know, it, but it was good, and the community supported me tremendously. I mean, we we had everything going our way. And um, Mark uh, is a member of our white collar support group that meets on Monday nights. So I've seen Julie before in the background waving hello, and and so uh, just to have this conversation with you, Julie, I feel uh, really blessed. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Cassie, we published a blog of yours on our website not long ago, and it was so touching. So why don't you introduce yourself, and uh, then, then we'll uh, go to Lynn. Okay, great. Thank you. Well, my name is Cassie Monaco. I live in Whitefish, Montana. My husband is Christopher Kamut. He is still currently incarcerated. Uh, he's been incarcerated for four years. July 5th, 2016 is when he self-surrendered. 
be present, a federal prison, and we are expecting him home uh, in 41 days. Uh, Chris and I were not married. Uh, we were dating when this all came to fruition. He and I started dating in 2011. In 2014, uh, his, his offense came to, um, came to light. And honestly, I didn't think at the time I would marry him, but I was going to see him through the legalities of it all. It was a year later in 2015, my husband, um, he had been indicted um, that July. And then in September of 2015, my then not husband yet had had back surgery. And he was four days into recovering and at home. And he and I had an argument where I left our home and he was in no shape to chase after me. And I was so upset that I stayed out the whole day and whole night. I was selling real estate. So I had some appointments, but then I went out and I came home at midnight to find him in the fetal position with pills or empty pills uh, containers next to him. Now, mind you, he was four days out of back surgery. So he had the Oxycontin, he had the Valium, right? I am a very soft person, very soft heart. But for some reason, my heart was hard. And I said, hmm. lame attempt at, you know, being manipulative and, and getting some sympathy. I went to bed that night. The next day, I got up. He was still in that same position, just snoring. I showered. I went out to watch football with a girlfriend of mine. And at about 4 o'clock, I felt this gentle touch on my shoulder, and it was God. And in the most calm way, it was, Cassie, it's okay. It's time to go home. I went home to find him still in that fetal position, and I was angry. But he wouldn't respond. So I called 911, and after I called 911, I saw the suicide note where he just couldn't handle what was going on. And, you know, the fact that I was so upset with him and his mess, he was so apologetic for what he had done and that he was sorry that we would not live our dream in Montana. He was taken to the hospital with the next day where I was still hard. My heart was still hard. The next day I called the hospital to check on him and I was transferred to critical care. I raced to that hospital. I got into his room. He was all too dead, unresponsive. And the doctor said, we do not expect him to make it. At that point, I dropped to my knees and I wailed and I prayed to God. I said, God, you let this man live and he will never know life without me. Two rounds of dialysis and three weeks in the hospital. He lived. So in August or April of 2016, during a Sunday church service at our Presbyterian church in Whitefish, Montana, we sealed the deal and got married. <laughs> and he will he will never know life 
without me. The day I took him to self-surrender, it was the most heart-wrenching, difficult day. I remember we called just like leaving him there when his name was called by the correctional officer. And I walked out that door to turn around to see him be led away. And as soon as I got out that door, the tears started coming down and our, our journey began. And I, I willed myself to sleep that night, just kept wanting to go to sleep. So the next day I could wake up and say, it's a day closer to my husband coming home. Now we're down to 41 days. It's been an incredible journey. My husband has handled his, his, his consequences with such courage and dignity. I am so incredibly proud of him. He's written into three journals and what he has written and the work that he's done on himself is so impressive. I just admire and I'm so proud of him. Thank you for thank you for sharing. Thank you for trusting us with that, Cassie. Absolutely. I, I I'm sorry. I, I I remember that when she talked about, and I didn't mean I don't know if this is out of sort, but when we dropped my husband off, I remember saying goodbye, and then a day later, a box arrives with his clothes, and it's almost as if you think they're dead. There's no note. It's in his handwriting to me. And it's the clothes I dropped him off in. It's like, it's the worst. You know, those first few firsts are really so difficult. Mm -hmm. So, Lynn, why don't, you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and then, uh, and then we'll have Sky go. Okay. I'm Lynn Springer. Obviously, uh, Jeff has mentioned that I'm his wife. And I just have to say right, right up front, this is very, very emotional um, hearing both of you share your stories is bringing back so much for me. Um, Jeff and I met in AA. Uh, we were both separated from our previous spouses, and I was the single mother of Skylar. She was, I think, five or six years old then. And... Um, I, I learned pretty quickly that uh, Jeff had been arrested. He was talking about it in AA. And we became friends, and I learned a lot more about him aside from his crime and learned that that was one part of him, and there were many other parts of him that I admired and loved and found to be wonderful and delightful. Um, Jeff got to know Skylar, and they became great friends and eventually um, grew to love one another very, very much. Jeff could not have been more loving and kind to Skylar, which was incredibly important to me. Um, While Jeff was going through, through the judicial system, it was very stressful. Um, most people that I knew, my family included, and our friends and the people in our town could not understand why I was making the choice um, to be with Jeff. And I 
had almost no support. No support from my family, no support from a lot of my acquaintances, some of my friends. It was a very, very lonely time. Um, but Jeff and I were very, very close, very much in love. It was a very powerful um, relationship. It still is, unlike any relationship I'd ever had before. And I was committed to it. Um, one of the things I remember early on when I, I was curious about Jeff's crime. I was curious about what had gone down, how he felt about it. We sat down and had a meeting about it. And he brought a, a legal box full of documents and he was prepared to present his case to me and to prove to me that he was innocent. And he started telling me the story and I'm listening and like, we went that far into it and I said, Jeff, cut the shit. This isn't adding up and you better get straight with this and you better get straight right now. Because if you don't want to tell the truth about this, and you don't want to um, accept the consequence, accept consequences for your actions, then you can walk right out and don't bother coming back. If you're going to be honest, if you're going to accept full responsibility, I'll stick with you. But otherwise, we're done right here and right now. So. So you can think about it for a while if you want, but that's the way it is. <laughs> and obviously, he got real and he got straight. <laughs> um, so that's the way that went. And he pled guilty. And he was guilty. So I found the whole process to be incredibly traumatic. Um, I was not able to go with Jack when he self-surrendered, and actually he didn't want me to. Some friends took him. It was unbelievably traumatic for me to visit Jack in a federal penitentiary. I was treated like a criminal. Um, it was a long trip by car um, to the middle of nowhere. Um... It was, it was incredibly difficult, and I didn't do it very many times. One of the things that I did, which I regret, was I lied to Skylar. I did not tell her the truth about Jeff's crime or where he was going, because she was seven years old when he self-surrendered, and I was afraid that it would be too frightening for her. So I told her he was going on an extended business trip. He was going to a special school because he'd made some mistakes in business and he needed to learn how to do better. And of course, eventually, she found out the truth and she was very upset with me for, because we, we didn't lie in our home and we always talked about things and she felt betrayed and it took us a while to heal from that betrayal and to heal from the line to her. Um, so we got through it. 
I didn't, as I said, I didn't visit Jeff much. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't bear seeing him. Um, this man who was generally so filled with joy and full of life, so cowed and so diminished and so not the person that I knew. It was, it devastated me. I would cry the entire time that I was with him. Another aspect that was really hard was Jeff and I were, were committed partners at that point, but I felt abandoned by him again because when I went to the, the correctional facility and I would describe a problem I was having to him, you know, out in the world, in life, he'd say something to me like, Lynn, what do you want me to do? I'm in prison. And I, I just felt devastated. I thought, I need you. I need to have some kind of support from you. Even if you're not able to do anything, I need some kind of emotional support or something. But Jeff was not able to give it. And it was rough. It was rough. When Jeff came home, he was incarcerated for 13 months, 13 and a half, Jeff. Yeah. When he came home, we did not resume living together because Jeff felt that he needed more time to be on this new path of learning and exploring and changing. And a lot of change needed to happen. Because there had been a great deal of grandiosity, a great deal of materialism, um, you know, the drug and alcohol abuse, which he had, he had begun to address, and he knew that he wanted to change his whole life. So he spent some time on his own before he came back to living with me and Skylar, and that, that was a good thing. Eventually, Jeff decided to go to seminary, and I supported him wholeheartedly. It was an amazing, amazing experience for, you know, at, I, was, I was referring to us as a family at that point. We were all living as a family. It was incredible for all of us. Jeff and I didn't get married until he'd been home for five years, and there was a lot of healing that went on, um, a lot of recovering, a lot of rebuilding. And then, um, Julie, you mentioned the, the economic recovery. I, I think we're still in that. Yeah. And Jeff's been home now for over 10 years. But certainly life is, life is far, far easier than it was. I mean, for, for a lot of years, a lot, it was no money in the bank. You know, getting clothes from resale shops. Um, every single expense was scrutinized. Um, but we had established our ministry. And once Jeff graduated from seminary, we were committed to that. We co-founded it together. And 
you know, our purpose in life was more important than our things or having money. But I must say, it has been very important to get back to a place of feeling that our needs are taken care of, of some kind of financial security and safety. So I think that's enough for me now. Thank you, Lynn. I just want to point out two things. First is that we got married two years after I got back from prison. We did? Oh, we'd been together for five years. Right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. And, and second, this beautiful linen shirt I'm wearing, I got at the Goodwill. Yeah. 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 They were, they were terrible years. Oh! <laughs> but, if, if you live in Greenwich, Connecticut, the Goodwill is pretty nice. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, Sky, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Skylar. Um, my last name is Cluett, um, which is my dad's name. Um, you know, it's, it's really interesting thinking back on that time when Jeff was in prison because a lot of it I don't know about. And at the time, I didn't know about. So a lot of... Um, what I know now was in retrospect of everything. So, you know, at the time, like my mom said, I thought Jeff, I believe, was in Texas, um, studying more law. And, you know, I was young. I didn't think much of it. Our parents had gone through a divorce. So separation was kind of like, yeah, it happens. You know, it was like, it wasn't really anything shocking to me. I, I It didn't. It wasn't a huge hiccup in our life, but I remember feeling like I was very connected to Jeff already. And so for him to leave so suddenly with no goodbye, I remember being strange, but kind of just trusting. I was at an age where you're so trusting of what your parents tell you. Um, I would never question, you know, what my mom was telling me. So I'm not sure exactly when I think. Jeff was still in, pre in prison when you told me. But my mom picked me up from school, um, and we were sitting in the driveway, um, and she said to me, you know, she would ask me every day, how was school? But today she seemed really down and sad. And she said, Sky, is there anything you want to tell me, is there anything that, you know, that's been on your mind? And I kind of just, you know, told her whatever at school, whatever kid was annoying me or whatever teacher was bothering me. And then I remember looking at her and realizing that I felt like she needed to tell me something. And I, I never asked when I was a kid, you know, how about you, mom? You have anything you want to tell me? And I remember staring at her for a while and then saying, do you have anything you want to tell me? And she just broke down in tears. And I remember we probably sat in the car for hours, hours, three, four hours talking. And it was hard for her to tell me and explain it to me in a way I'd understood Sam because I, I didn't have any comparison to that situation in my life. Um, I grew up in a town where 
if there was anything wrong going on in the family, no one talked about it. Um, you know, everyone was either very wealthy or, um, you know, if you weren't very wealthy, I had a lot of my closest friends weren't, it was just not talked about. And, but I didn't come from a family like that. My mom and dad were always really, really honest with me. And Jeff was always really honest with me. He treated me as a friend, not a kid. And that's why I liked him so much. Um, so I remember being really angry and not really sad, just really angry that I could have been lied to. And I remember my first reaction being, well, what else have you lied to me about? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really hard for me to believe anything my mom told me after that for a while because it was such a big thing in our in our life. It was such an important person and um, obviously such an important part of her life that she had chosen not to share with me. So obviously looking back, I understand how hard the decision is to tell your child that. And I completely understand the reason she did what she did. But... At the time, it was really difficult for me. Um, I don't remember if I talked about it openly with my friends. I don't think I did. I don't think I talked about it really with anyone for a while because it felt like if my mom had been secretive about it, I should be secretive about it. It should be something that I um, don't talk about. You know, It must be a big, really dark thing because my mom couldn't even tell me. So I think it took a while for me to feel comfortable talking about it. And that happened when Jeff was prepared to talk about it. Because when he first came home, there was still a lot of shame and heaviness around it. And and the people in our lives were still, you know, working through it. And um, it took a while. I think especially through, if if I'm remembering it correctly, it took... Jeff going through ministry and a a really long healing process for him to feel comfortable opening up and talking about his crime openly. Um, And I think it was the same for us. Mm -hmm. And especially because my mom felt a lot of shame from her family and friends. It was just not something we felt open uh, about. But I do remember when Jeff came home, this is a light, light note to finish it off. I remember seeing him. I can remember it so clearly (laughs) on the street in our town. And my mom hadn't told me he was back yet, which she wasn't lying. We just kind of stopped talking about it because it was such a heavy thing between us. And I remember seeing him and I knew right away it was him, but I, it took me a minute and I, I remember standing in the street kind of staring at him and my mom didn't see him at first. And I pulled her hand and I just kind of pointed. I said, I think that's Jeff. But he was like skinny. Which <laughs> Jeff, when I him as a little girl, was like puffy, like <laughs> like, like <laughs> chubby dude. And I loved it. Like he would like when he hugged me, it would, I'd be like enveloped in him. Like I was the tiniest little squirt and Jeff, when he hugged me, was just like a giant. And 
it, I remember like him coming over and us talking, and I probably just stared at him the whole time, like not even being able to say anything because I was like, "Where's the fat?" <laughs> and I, Jeff, you might be able to tell this better, but I think I might have said to mom, or you could tell it better. I think right after that, I said, "I liked him fatter better." Yeah, yeah. and you know, it's just. It was different, and I think that signified like the change and the huge difference of the time and that that space of time that he was gone, and how much can change in that time, and how much Jeff had accomplished and been able to look inward and and um, I'm grateful every day to have Jeff in our life. He is he's an incredible man. Um, and I'm so <laughs> You got us all crying. Yeah. Um, I'm so grateful to have two people who love each other so much in my life. Was my parents' relationship was, you know, broken for um, a long time. But to have have a man who loves my mom the way she deserves to be loved is a beautiful thing. So. That was beautiful. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> All right, Skylar, you can leave now. <laughs> How much did you pay her, Jeff? <laughs> um, so, um, wh why don't we talk about what, um, what the effect of all this was on your families and and um and what kind of support you got or didn't get and their children involved and and how you navigated all of that so julie why don't we go to you wow skylar that was really beautiful you really got me uh, so for me it happened so fast I, mark and i didn't get married till i was 34 years old i, I have a joke that i was minding my own business, living in a nice one-bedroom place on the street in Buckhead, Atlanta. And all of a sudden, I got married. I moved to the suburbs. They had an ex-wife. I had two stepchildren. And then he went to prison. I'm like, what the hell? And then I had two kids of my own. I was scared for the financial part. I mean, I was really scared. I grew up in a middle-class family. My parents were you know, very comfortable, not their whole lives, but I had everything I ever needed or wanted. But at that point, my dad had actually lost his business. Um, so I was, I, I was completely on my own um, in many respects, but the community rallied. I mean, they helped me with my kids. I, I got my daughter, um, she went, you know, grew up in a Jewish family and I didn't know what I was going to do or how people were going to react and put her in a, um, a, a private school and people really helped me. I got a scholarship and I mean, I just went at it with like, like with everything I had, I got it, went back to work. I just had a you know little baby and I put him in daycare and I, I mean, I just did it. I, I, I didn't even think. And it was like, I'm, we're going to make this work. I'm going to make it happen. The community, you know, Mark was a lawyer The basically his um, conviction was the government said that he knew or should have known a banknote he accepted was fraudulent. The guys that actually gave him the note testified in court and said that Mark did not know what they were doing. But he, it, it, they tried to tell him, but he didn't want to be a part of it. But 
you know, they say it's a jury of our peers. It was somebody's peers. It wasn't yours and my peers. And I don't think they understood it for a minute because it was so complex. Um, but at the end of the day, this was our fate and we were going to, you know, deal with it. So um, when the most of his co, you know, or colleagues, I should say, you know, said all by the grace of God, there go I, you know, they really were supportive and they were supported emotionally and financially. Um, not for five years, but for a good amount of time, they raised some money to help me, which was, I'm forever grateful. Um, but, you know, if my kids, we told them, um, Mark had two older children that kind of didn't really know what, what we were doing or what was going on, but we told him that daddy, daddy was going to camp and it really was, it was a federal prison camp and that he was going to be there for a while. Now they didn't see him as much as my two saw him. I mean, we went every weekend. Um, I had my clear backpack and I mean, diapers and strollers. And I mean, they knew I was, they didn't always love me, but that's okay. I didn't love them either. Um, and, and we made the best of it. Um, my kids, I count my blessings every day. They are soaring. I mean, I don't know if it's just because we were so damn broke. I mean, they grew up with some of the wealthiest people in this town, not unlike probably you, Skylar, yet they didn't want for anything. They didn't maybe, you know, we couldn't get it right away, but eventually I got what they needed. Um, you know, when they needed a computer for school and they wanted a Mac, I was like, how in the hell am I going to get them a Mac? But by the grace of God, I got them a Mac. <laughs> but um, it, and it wasn't always about that. And we did our Goodwill shopping too and belt, uh, belts, what do you call it, Burlington. And it was, it was so scary, you know. Um, but they are, they, I think when he came home and we spent so much time together as a family because we didn't have money to go out or to travel or to go to dinner, we've got we have the like this pandemic we have thrived i mean thank god we both have jobs now and not that we didn't but you know we're still working but my daughter is you know going to be a junior this year in college she's pre-med 3.9 average at uga my son is in high school he's a senior he's he already knows how to code python he's got a business where he buys and sells shoes he's got a 4.0 average they're both in the greatest place. I couldn't be happier about anything. And that is the greatest gift. So, I mean, I know there's so much more. I'm a, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm not, you served 13 months. Mark was about three and a half years. Um, and you're very close to it, Cassie. I'm much farther away. Um, I have three boxes of love letters. Like it was the most, um, I, 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 I can't tell you. We just, I don't, you know, he didn't tell me everything, obviously. And there's some funny stories about that as well. But I mean, I was on food stamps for God's sakes. I mean, what do I know? You know, um, but I didn't want to live on the dole. I just needed it to help me get through times. I mean, I have pictures of talk about skinny. Oh my God. He was like, you know, I was like, look, you're skinnier than me now. I can't fit into your jeans. You know, you're going to have to do something. Um, but yeah, they, it was a very trying time. It is a life sentence, I believe. Um, there's not a day goes by where uh, I shouldn't say a day. As as we get farther from it, less comes of it. But you know, he's gotten great jobs before, and he discloses everything. But then maybe, or 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 some nobody needs to know, or maybe it's his own business, like a 1099, and somebody will inevitably call and go, "Hey, gee, this guy was." convicted felon and it's like you just you just want to strangle them you know like they're so angry you don't even know who he is 
He's the most ethical human being. And it, whatever happened and the mistakes that were made, believe me, he paid dearly for them on the inside and I paid dearly on the outside. And I wasn't even married to him when all this happened. But um, as you know, but he gets through it and, and we move on and then something else comes up. But for me, while he was there, I was an open book. It wasn't even an opportunity for anyone to talk about it because I told him. I'm like, yeah, this is where, you know, I remember that first day of kindergarten, we were all in a room together and I would, I told the story. Um, I was very open. So there really wasn't anybody sitting in the corner gossiping. I didn't, I, you know, they wouldn't talk about it in front of their kids. It was nothing to gossip about. They all knew. So um, I'm just trying to think of things that are relevant, you know, to help people. I think, um, you know, we talked every single day. Um, I find that, you know, uh, the fact that, these guys are on the inside locked up and that we're sending them money for phone calls where they're charging, you know, 26 cents a minute. You're only hurting the women and children on the outside. It's not, you know, helping anybody. And it, the whole thing, I mean, it's like, okay, serve your time, do your crime, you know, do your crime, serve your time. But they, they further perpetuate it in every sense. And it, there's gotta be a point where, you know, um, there's some people, you know, like, you know, the story, Michael Vick, and he was a player and he was, you know, a dog fighter and it's very controversial. But at the end of the day, he got caught, served his time, and now he's trying to do better. And and I think sometimes we have to give people the, the you know, the option to do that, the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, I'm a, and that's probably not the best example, but it just seems like, you know, this has been a 20 year life sentence for us too, especially financially. Um, so yeah. Thanks, Julie. So, um, Cassie, are, are there children from other marriages and? Yes. Yes, Jeff, there are. So I have three daughters. I have three growing daughters and Chris has two grown kids, a son and a daughter. I did not tell my children until they found out. So at our wedding, Chris's children were there, but mine were. It was about six weeks after, and I was going to tell them. I just didn't know how. You know, I was still dealing with it and trying to process what was happening. It's, it's a difficult thing to just all of a sudden blurt out, oh, the man that I married, he's going to go to federal prison here in, you know, in a few months. And what was his crime? And for some reason, my youngest daughter decided to Google my husband's name, and there it was. It was uh, contentious for a while because it's kind of, it's what Skylar was saying, um, kind of a betrayal, right? Like, I didn't, um, wait, I didn't trust them enough, you know, with this information. You know, what else was I hiding from them? So it took a long while to get back to a really good, healthy relationship where we are. My daughters are everything. I'm such, you know, such great women and great daughters and, and um, just loving human beings. So we, we, we're straight now. You know, to get on to Chris's kids, they are now, I believe, 26, 23. And he's been incarcerated for four years. 
the most difficult thing I had to do, my husband went away July 2016, is to visit him August of 2016 and tell him that his children changed their last names. Mm-hmm. I cannot even imagine how, I mean, the pain in his eyes and the tears. In four years, there has not been one birthday card, one Father's Day card, one Christmas card, nothing. They've blocked him from email. And occasionally, I mean, when he calls, he tries to call. Occasionally, they'll pick up, you know, the son more than the daughter. But they won't even discuss their feelings, what happened. And Chris and my economic background are a little different. I mean, not when he was growing up, but he had a little bit higher lifestyle than I had ever had. I was more the type of mother that made their kids work for what they had. Things weren't given. They weren't entitled. Whereas I often, one of the other reasons why I thought, oh, I'll never marry this man is because I saw how entitled his children were and how they kind of owned him. And I was, and I can't deal with that for the rest of my life. But to this day, when I visit my husband, it's hard for him to talk about his kids without him just crying. And sometimes he'll call after he's tried to call them. They don't answer, and it's just the pain inside of him just tears me up. And I just tell him to keep the faith, keep the faith. You know, God's working, you know, God has his handled, and there's not really much you can do from the inside. He'll be home in 41 days, hopefully sooner. Then you can start working on that relationship, then you can start repairing. In four years, early, you know, they've grown in leaps and bounds, hopefully. And God knows he's changed tremendously. Also, he's always had a good heart and, and kind. But he's learned a lot of lessons from being incarcerated and, you know, from his offense. And, you know, we talk about economic issues. It is. It's ex- so expensive to have somebody incarcerated. And thank God, you know, I'm a scrapper. I'm okay, you know, working two, three, four jobs, whatever it takes to make it work. I mean, just to send money for commissary and then restitution. I mean, restitution each month is $208 alone, right? So the economic part of it, you know, we'll manage through. The biggest part is is to piece his heart back together with his children. Mm -hmm. I think for him, that has been the most difficult part of this journey other than he and I being separated and he's um we've both done well in nurturing our relationship you he writes saturday night letters and you know before you know when i took him to self-surrender he left me with this huge jar notes and anytime you need to feel me do one of these jars and to read one of the notes. I still have some notes left. I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta finish these because he's gonna be upset because I've been trying to, you know, um, trying to, you know, make them last, and, and they certainly have. How long has he been away, Cassie? 
Uh, four years. Four, July 5th was four years. Wow. And we have recently uh, filed for compassionate release. My husband almost lost his life last fall um, due to medical neglect. And now um, his uh, thyroid cancer has reoccurred. He has thyroid cancer. He has chronic uh, kidney disease from what happened last fall. And there's also a growth on his kidney. He, um, he under the CARES Act, he qualified for home confinement. The warden, everybody signed off. The RRM in Seattle wouldn't let him come home. I, something about budgetary reasons, I have no idea. We always we did, encourage him to file for a compassionate release because his immune system is suppressed. And, you know, if he, you know, gets COVID, it could be a problem. We filed on April 10th. We still, is still sitting with the judge. Um, I don't know if we'll ever hear anything, but while the judge sits on his compassionate release, he's a sitting duck for COVID. Um, I sometimes wish we never even started the compassionate release process. We were both so beat up by it. It just feels like we've got multiple rounds with Mike Tyson. It's just, but he'll still be home in 41 days. Yeah. September 16th is his. Release date. I bought our airline tickets yesterday. <laughs> where, Cassie, where is he? He's in Florence. He was originally in Inglewood, right mm -hmm. there in, in Denver. But because he participated in the RDAP program, Inglewood didn't have it. So, so they transferred him to Florence, mm -hmm. which was also eye opening. Inglewood is more of a gentleman's camp, shall we say. Florence is a whole different situation. So that was. So he's been there a little over a year. That's been a heck of a transition. It's been really tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well we're, we're hoping he's going to join our uh, our support group on Monday nights when he comes back. He will. Oh, he will indeed. I, I told him that. And he's just he's just thrilled um, to make that happen. So oh, thank we're, you. We're, <laughs> we're so happy to welcome him. It would be great. Oh, and um, I, I have two um, older daughters. And we were very close when they were young. And um, they visited me in prison. And, um, and then um, we had some rough years. You know? um, and things are much better now. But um, just, the, just the, the, the way this just ravages families in all kinds mm -hmm. of unexpected ways. And you know, on any given day, any of us, me included, can just wake up and just something's grabbing that, you know, it's just the, the pain, the trauma, it just can come up out of nowhere. And so Lynn and I are always talking about these kind of things. So, Lynn, so much um, collateral damage. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lynn, wh wh why don't we talk about when um, you first came to visit and we can all talk about kind of what it is because maybe for women who are out there or for spouses out there who are just starting to go through this. And I have a feeling there's going to be a lot more given what's going on with all these SBA loans and everything else mm. over the years. Um, um, there's, there, there's the emotional part, but then there's also actually the mechanics of how you get to see your loved one and what that's about. So Lynn, why don't you start us off on that and we can, uh, we can go around. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a long process. It can be, um, 
You know, I think I mentioned before, I was treated in a way I'd never been treated in my life. And I think I've, I've always been a dignified woman and I was stripped of my dignity. And I did not expect it at all. I had no idea that I was going to walk in there, an innocent person, and be treated like crap. Yeah, shit. And whatever they said, that's the way it goes. Even if it wasn't reasonable. Mm -hmm. And it, that's just the way it was. I mean, I could, I would drive for five hours to get to the correctional facility. And if they didn't like something that I was wearing, and believe me, I never showed up in something that wasn't completely tasteful, completely. If they made a comment and said, you're not going in in that skirt, which was, I'm sure it was below my knees. I didn't go in. And there was no Never. talking about it. No talking about it. We were out in the middle of nowhere. So I said, well, where's the nearest store where I can go get a longer skirt? I don't know. Thank you. You know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but, but even more, you know, it just went on and on and on. And, um, it was like that every time. And it was, I, I didn't expect it. And it was part of the reason that I founded the, the division of our ministry that I founded because I didn't want any other woman to go into this situation completely in the dark as I had to go into the situation without any support, without any knowledge. It's different now. This was quite a while ago. But I learned a lot. I developed coping skills. Um, I acquired a lot of knowledge. And so Jeff and I wanted to be able to impart all of that to other women and to be a source of compassion for other women so that they didn't feel so alone as I had about um yeah it was so lonely it was so sad um i, I don't know what else to say about it mm -hmm. um julie cast may, may, maybe you can kind of go through the dynamic of what it actually takes to go through a line get get checked for drugs have to carry change in a you know in a in a clear plastic yeah case. yeah i mean you know, kind of go through it a little bit i remember my first visit like it was yesterday i got there i had no idea what to expect but i did have i had a baby i had an infant with diapers and bottles and they used to harass me about that too i'm like i wasn't breastfeeding what was i supposed to do i mean they were complete just complete jerks um so we were on an Air Force base in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. In the beginning, you could drive right up to the camp. You get on the Air Force base, you drive right up to the camp. And then as soon as you got there, you 
jump out of the car. I, I would get the baby out of the car seat. Macy was a little bit older. You know, I'd get my stroller and I'd get my backpack and we'd run in so we could get there in time. Because I mean, I'm telling you, I wanted to be there every second, you know, call me crazy. But if you got there, you know, a certain time they had count and then they wouldn't let you in for two hours, you know, it's just all this. But I would watch these ladies. And I don't know, I've never been a, you know, a, 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 I always dressed very normal. You know, not, I wasn't, I'm I, I modest, more modest. Yeah, that's the word. I can't think of it. But they would say, mm -mm, can't wear flip-flops. But last week you could. Mm -hmm. So then they'd send them, they'd go to Walmart. And these people didn't have any money. I don't care if it was Walmart or not. And you'd wait in line, you'd fill out the same paperwork and everything. Sometimes you'd try to bring, you know, have a couple extra copies and have it done because then you got to wait for a pen and, you know, and then they'd, they'd let you in and, and then you'd sit and wait and they'd call your husband or your loved one. And then I remember he came out and I was like, oh my God, and he was in these greens and I hugged him and he had tears. He goes, this is the best place. I can only imagine what the worst is. And all I could think about is I can't leave you here. I mean, I am smarter than this. You're smarter than this. How did we get to this point? Mm -hmm. So we would sit in the visiting area and there were vending machines. Me, keep in mind, I had it, I had it a baby, you know, I didn't a lot of choices to feed these kids. And what you and I could eat, not eat in a day, we lived on chicken wings. They were really, I, they were pretty good chicken wings, but you had to put quarters in. And if you didn't have enough money and you didn't even know to have enough money, what, what do you do? And then at some point you put money in and you got the card. And the, the debit card was served as your, your, your money, you know, whatever. And you could go outside, but, and, the, and we used to play, I mean, we used to take a water bottle with a ball of trash and play, you know, a game outside. Um, again, it wasn't really the worst place, but again, it wasn't the best, but we got used to it and we'd get there and we had a routine and my son would take a nap and there was videos and we would get to talk and we probably spent more time talking in those years in that visiting room than we do on any given week. And and that probably is what's really got us through it. You know, cause we were a young married couple in a way we weren't young, but we were young, young newly married. Um, but you know, then they changed it when you had to stop at the gate and then you had to get on a bus and then you'd get, you know, we don't want to go to the back of the bus cause we went to the back of the bus, you'd be last off and you couldn't get in there. And you know, they would drive slow and they didn't care. And you could wait for that bus for, you know, 30 minutes and maybe it would show up and maybe it wouldn't, you know, they didn't care. You served, they served it on the inside and you served it on the outside for sure. Um, I remember one time he called me that of course, you know, they're listening to your calls. And he said something like we had this stock. I think we had one share, you know, one share left. And he said, you probably should just sell it. He got in trouble. They pulled him aside. You can't tell her what, you know, he's like, it's my wife. I'm, I'm telling her it's, we're not doing conducting business, but no. They want to make it as difficult as possible. And they do. And they, 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 they're darndest to do it. Mm -hmm. um, I was on Deborah Norville. Um, friends of mine work for CNN and they called me one day and they said, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm very feisty. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I pushed the envelope at every step. I probably got him. I know he got strip searched a couple of times because they just wanted to show him that, you know, they were in charge, but um, she called me and said, do you want, and I was like, absolutely. And they, I, I made my dad and my best friend, they went with me and, and Mark knew I was going to be on. So we watched and I told him, I mean, I, I, I said as much as I could, if I had to do it all over again, I would have said a lot more. I mean, they were the, the people running those places are more crooked than the people in it that are serving time. The warden at the time. Oh, I, I, I want to write a book. I mean, I want to write a book. I, 
Um, I understand you might, but anyway, um, I kept, I kept copious notes and, um, I, I was on, I was on with, uh, McDougal. She was in the Clinton case or something anyway. But the next time I was there, one of the guards said to me, you know, how did you uh, get to be on, you know, why didn't you say more? And I was like, I'm saving it for later. In other words, don't mess with them because I'm coming for you. Um, but you know, there, there's nothing, nothing you can do if they, you know, I used to smoke cigarettes and they used to allow you to smoke. Thank God I don't smoke anymore. But I remember one time I accidentally left an empty pack, empty pack in the stroller and as I was walking out, this one lady saw it and she banned me from visiting for like, I think a month. And that was the only, that was the longest time I ever went without seeing him. Um, just to be spiteful, just to be mean. I didn't bring contraband to the, the prison, you know. Um, but other than that, you know, we just, just every, you know, went, got, went through the motions and did it. We had a call every night. I mean, it was like, this call is from a federal prison, you know, and you knew it was and then you push five, you know, we didn't have iPhones and we were pushing five and we didn't have email when, when he was there. Either. And, and sometimes you couldn't get it, you know, and then you give it to the kids and they were so little and they'd want to walk with your phone and you're like, Oh no, we only have a little bit of time because if we waste too much time, we can't talk to daddy tomorrow, the next day, like there's so much anxiety around it. And you barely even talk, you know? Um, I shudder to say this, but I do remember one day I was sitting in my office and I answered the phone. I said, hello, this is Julie. And he goes, hey, baby. And I go, who is this? <laughs> he goes, it's your husband. And uh, he had, you know, gotten a hold of a phone. I, I probably shouldn't even be saying this at this point, but there's nothing they could do, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> it was a very, I mean, but it scares me, you know, a little bit. But it was like this moment of, oh, I go, did you escape? Where the hell are you? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> But it was like, we could have just said the sky is blue, but it was like the most unbelievable moment where we could just talk, you know? So um, there, there are others that will be in the book. <laughs> but, um, you know, just grateful. I mean, really grateful, you know, that we got through it. And I too don't, you know, if anybody ever, you know, people that came after us, the lawyers in, the, in, the, in town, because Mark did practice law as well. You know, they'd always call and say, would you talk to so-and-so? I'm like, absolutely, you know, and, you know, hope more people can stay together than, than get apart because it, 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 you can get through this. You, you can, you just, you have to be, you know, willing. And, and, and the last thing is, I, I will say is the one thing that we didn't do, but we really couldn't afford it is to go to therapy when he came home. Not that bullshit that they send you to for aftercare but real therapy because you got to be debriefed i mean these people you know you're everything is taken away from you on the inside and in some ways on the out and we didn't do that and and that was a big mistake and if there's any way that anybody can do that when you come home it, it's it's a, it's vital mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. thanks julie so so Cassie, you're in Whitefish, Montana. How how often do you go from Whitefish, Montana to Florence, Colorado? Yeah. Well, initially it was Denver. So occasionally I would drive, which is 1,200 miles. Um, but I was also able to fly frequently and incorporate work also. So we were able to see each other, you know, about every two months. Yeah, every, every you know, eight to 10 weeks. I recall you know, my first visit just being so scared and didn't know what to expect 
And again, um, I learned very quickly to always keep an extra change of clothes because you're right. When it, it just, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. It could be the most appropriate thing. If they feel like harassing you, they certainly will. Just as a common tummy being, you know, all butterflies. And then when they called my husband in, it was just to see that brilliant smile just made everything okay. And to this day, when we visit, well, we haven't visited in a while because of COVID, it's, he just comes in with that same brilliant movie star smile. It's just makes everything good and so comforting. I think um, what I find about visiting is it's somewhat demeaning. I hate that they do counts, right? You know, 10 o'clock count. Um, the fact that they can't come up with you to the vending machines. I hate like when we're, we're visiting and, and the guys are going to chow hall. It's, there's, there's just so much conforming that it's just completely unnatural. What I also find interesting is you, know, you can sit there for seven hours and it goes by like that. Mm. It's amazing what you can find to talk about, to laugh about, to plan. It's, um, yeah, it's, very interesting experience. Did they stop visitation due to COVID? They sure did, yeah, in March. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a tough thing. I mean, I get it. I understand it, right? Get them out of there. Yeah, yeah. So, um, wow. so yeah, but they, they have allowed um, 500 minutes a month, and they're making the phone calls free, so that helps. Mm -hmm. Just cost you a little money. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, they made the phone calls free. Wow. Since, yeah, just during the time that we can't visit. Yeah. Plus, they gave the, the men and women 500 minutes. So, so is, is, uh, is, is Chris in quarantine or will he be in quarantine before they send him home? Yes. Yes. So, he'll go to quarantine in about three weeks. Um, now, they're having them do 21 days of quarantine, mm -hmm. which is seems like a lot because you're basically in the shoe. And I, I've, he's never been in the shoe, but I can only imagine what it's like to be basically in solitary confinement for 21 days. A lot. Yeah. Mm. You can play with a person's mind, you know? So so he, he's in a camp. He, he went through RDAP at Florence? He sure did, yeah. He went to RDAP at Florence. And like I said, it's a little it's much different than Inglewood because at Florence, there's the Supermax. USP, the medium, and then the camp. And then obviously this is very much a working camp. And so even though you have camp status, you're really treated more uh, like a, a, a medium incarcerated person versus and, a camper. And, and, and where, where are they sending the, the people from the camp to quarantine? In the, in the medium or in the or In the, uh, in the, in the medium. Mm -hmm. In the medium, yes. Um, and so he'll be behind. He'll be he'll be behind the walls, or he'll be in. He'll yes. be in mm -hmm. It'll be a whole new experience. Yeah. He's preparing himself, and who knows? Maybe compassionate release will happen before then. Oh, we'll pray for that. Yeah, so, we'll pray for that. <laughs> you know, this, this has been fascinating, important information. You know what I'd like to um, kind of wrap up with is. What have you learned? What's what kind of liberative experience have you have? Have you 
grown? Are you angry? Are you resentful? Are you somehow better for this? Is this a, um, um, no, uh, it, it, it tends to be a lot about the person who's incarcerated, but your life goes on and, yeah. and you get a chance to right. flourish. Um, and yet there's a lot of things that can get in the way of that. So um, why don't you each talk about, and, and Skylar, you can join in this, this too. Um, what has your life been like? What have you been able to achieve? And how have you been able to be helpful or be helped by other people? Um, Lynn, you want to start? Sure. Um, I think that I decided to be a helper. I think that's just sort of my natural way. Um, I've never been asked the question that you just asked, and I've never really thought about it before, but if I'm being completely honest, I will say that I wish that I'd never had this experience of you being incarcerated, Jeff. It was so profoundly, devastatingly painful and sad and lonely. And I, the recovery was so long. Um, I never, ever, ever regret that we're together. Never. I never doubt my love for you or my commitment to you. But I would never wish this experience upon anybody, um, ever. Even though I think, Jeff, you are a far, far better man now than you were when you were arrested and before you went to prison. And, and I've been blessed to be on this journey with you and to see how you've evolved. It's been, it's been unbelievable, but, but that really, I didn't, I didn't get to start experiencing that until you came home and until you'd, you'd had some time to recover um, and be out for a while. Um, so anyway, that's my, my answer to that. Um, I mean, now <clears throat> I don't think about it very often. Um, I'm happy really happy, um, proud of you, proud of our family. Um, I love the life we've built. It's a dream beyond my wildest dreams, for sure. So, so let's see Skylar. So Skylar, um, you grew up in extreme privilege, right? <laughs> And you, well, you did, right? And, 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 but you had experiences that are really unlike your, um, your private school friends, your boarding school friends. I mean, um, 
an example, you did your capstone project in ninth grade on prisoner reentry. And, and, and I don't think that anyone had even ever picked that topic at your school before. <laughs> so how do you think that this experience has helped form your value system and then the things that you hold important now in your life? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, yeah, it's true. Definitely no one had ever done anything on prison reentry. That's definitely accurate. And I remember uh, bringing, because we were in a group, and I was, you know, I thought, I said to my group, what do you guys think? And they were just like, okay, sure, whatever. And we went to a halfway house, um, not for white-collar criminals, but... Um, it was just like these kids were deer in the headlights. Like they were like, "What the hell is going on?" But you know, it's it really has been such an interesting um, upbringing for me because I've had such different experiences on my dad's side of the family and my mom mom's side. And I really believe I there's no chance I'd be the person I am today um, without it. Like you said, Julie, I think. You know, kids who um, have to, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just something about it. It's just something about the process of having to deal with these things early in our lives. I, I'm proud of the person I am, and, and, I, um, and I'm, I'm really, I mean, of course, I, I would never wish, like my mom said this on anyone, but just is one of is one of the most incredible people I've I know and he is. He he really like just the the growth in his life, the things he's done and chosen to do out of his pain and suffering, it's an absolute inspiration and, and it it just it really shows how much someone can evolve and change and that they can pick up the pieces from the absolute darkest of dark mm -hmm. and you know and make something incredible out of it not just for us that we can have a family and have this beautiful home and and that we've healed as a family but that he's able to bring to do that in outreach and um for me to be able to have both sides of that in my life from absolute poverty with my mom just you know i think there is a moment many moments when we had really nothing mm -hmm. to being on the opposite end of that with my dad is a really bizarre um it's just a very bizarre way to be raised but i wouldn't have it any other way because i'm able to be extremely grateful for the things that i do have um and I think, you know, like you were saying, Cassie, the entitlement was just never an option for me because my dad didn't always, you know, he didn't raise me with that as much, but I know that it would have been more ingrained in me from the people in my dad's zone of life if I didn't have this other side of my upbringing with Jeff and my mom. Um, so it's been a really incredible balance that just... I just say gratitude has just been so instilled in me 
my, it's something my mom always practiced with me, but it's hard not to when you've seen both sides of it so richly. Um, and yeah, I guess I would just say it's, it's a very interesting way to be raised, but um, I know it'll, it'll be a part of my life forever in the best way possible. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, I, I do want to point out that Skylar's dad's one of my best friends. And um, I still do try to get him to pick up the check. <laughs> yes, that, that is one thing that's a miracle. And a lot of my friends' families, and it's hard for them to believe that we can all be so close. My mom and my dad are best friends. It took some time. It didn't happen right away. And Jeff and my dad are best friends. And, you know, regardless of my dad's, um, you know, money and everything he's still a really humble awesome guy and loves driving his tractor around so i didn't come from like a typical greenwich upbringing regardless but it still was very different from um you know this yeah. side of my life thank you sky julie mm -hmm. um so i um i did have everything i needed growing up and again not like over the top but very comfortable I thought that when Mark and I got married that I would, you know, have some children. I'd been working, you know, but he's like, if you want to work, you can. If you don't, you don't have to. And of course that changed in a, about, on a dime. Um, but I think for now, there, there are a few things that, that have come to me through this experience. First is I've realized my self-worth, like what I'm capable of. My, I never pushed myself in any capacity because I didn't need to. I mean, I did wonderful things and but i have a my own business now and and i'm very successful and i can support us and my kids in a way that's not too shabby you know like i would have never ever ever probably realized this without this this horrific experience that i wouldn't wish on anyone either and i could have lived a lifetime without it um my happy moments though they're heightened because i'm so damn grateful I mean, even sitting at dinner on any given night since COVID started, I, I mean, food on the table. I'm, I'm working. I still have a job. I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful. I still think about the people out there that are suffering, though, and, and through various things, food. Um, and then I think my value system has changed tremendously. All, mm. While I was always a very, a very liberal, um, I realized you can't judge people so easily. You, you just don't know. And there's a great commercial that's on the YouTube video or something, but a, a person's going into a restaurant and they're ordering and the person's taking the order and over their head, it says, you know, she just lost her mother or she just lost her job or somebody died. And you just don't know what baggage or what people bring to the table. And you can never, um, judge in that moment. And, and you, we all need to be a little more forgiving. And even if someone did do it, did commit the crime, it doesn't make them a bad person. It just means mostly that they got caught. Usually, but not really, but you know, but anyway, but I am, um, I'm, I'm grateful. And I believe that, that I've, my family has also reaped all of those wonderful accolades through this horrific experience. Um, so I think, you know, we've all realized, and my daughter said the other day, she said, all I had was school. And that was the most consistent thing in my life. And so mm -hmm. I 
soared with it, and she did. So yeah, and I'm you know, meeting people like you guys is it's so refreshing because just somebody going through what you went through, like you know, even the verbiage, like behind the wall, the shoe. I mean, all of that. You know, so Mark was listening to somebody talk one day, and they said something in his jacket, and he's like, "We're in prison," you know. But it's a club you don't want to be in, but we are. And we're all kind of sisters and brothers of that club. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cassie, what what have you learned through this about yourself? Well, both of my husband and myself, we have flourished. We could have done without this last year. This last year has been extremely challenging and probably a year too long. But I have to say, when my husband entered prison, it was the freest he had been in so many years. Mm. Mm. He was now stripped of everything. He didn't have to look over his shoulder. Everything was exposed. He got to start all over again. And in yeah. some respects, I was a little envious of that, right? You know, wouldn't, wouldn't we all just like to be able to just have a clean slate and start over and, and know that everything that we've done has been exposed? He has flourished, and um, he, he'll often say, Cassie, I needed this time out. Mm-hmm. And I say it was, <laughs> we both say it's been some great therapy for him, and he's just done so well. I, I, I will never be able to stop giving my husband accolades and see how proud I am of him. And for me, I've also flourished very much. Um, I started a nonprofit called The Day Closer, and our mission is to get families connected who have a loved one incarcerated uh, by providing those uh, very critical, vital face-to-face visits that keeps a family intact. Our mission is to reduce recidivism by doing that. So I've done that. I've started my writing, my public speaking, and my husband has been behind me every step of the way, helping me. And he's my biggest cheerleader. So we've also decided to just you know take the positive out of this and he'll often say wow Cassie I, I I never knew you had this in you I didn't know the side of you and I'll say the same thing about him and just get to learn about each other in a whole different perspective oh and I just I just quickly I want to applaud Skylar <laughs> she is so well-rounded and such a lovely young lady. I find you mighty impressive. Thank you. How old are you, Tyler? I'm 22. Oh, wow. You're beats and bounds, you know, mature wise over that. So. Oh, thank you. Quite well, a lot. Well, th- thank you all for joining me tonight. I, I, I hope you're, that you all um, will stay in touch with one another. I'll share your uh, contact information with one Please. another. Right? Yes, and uh, there's a lot of people out there suffering, um, and mm-hmm. and we all know that they don't have to suffer in isolation. You know that they can come together and, and lean on us. And um, I'm hoping that um, this podcast is proof that that you don't have to go it alone. So th- thank you all for joining tonight, thank and God bless you all. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. 
And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.